Hey everybody, I am Jason Grant and welcome to Agora. Today I want us to reason together about those who are vulnerable and what our response should be. When I had originally booked today's guest, I had planned on building this episode around mission trips and why they are needed. However, as time progressed and the border crisis intensified, I felt that this episode needed a new direction. One of the most disturbing things that I see today among so-called believers in the developing world is a hostility towards undocumented immigrants. Don't believe me? Spend just a few minutes on any social media platform and search for conversations where believers are debating the immigration issue. It is sickening. Many in the church look at people who are claiming asylum as criminals. Some even say worse things that would remind you of life in the Confederate South. Today we are going to have a brief conversation with someone who is on the front lines of ministry in one of the countries that people are running from, Guatemala. Before we get to that conversation, I would like for us to reason for a moment regarding what Jesus had to say about strangers and who he referred to as the least of these. I'm going to read to you from the Bible. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? Then he will answer, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I believe that this passage truly speaks for itself. Ignoring the needs around us and refusing to care for those in need is a damnable offense. Now, I know that nations have laws and nations have borders, but just because something is law does not make it moral. An example, abortion is legal, but not moral. Homosexuality is legal, but not moral. Our government may think that it is acceptable to cage up immigrant children, but it is not moral. 
You can either stand behind a false gospel that blends well with nationalism, or you can stand for the true gospel. We only have two options. Either we spread the gospel in both word and deed as we help the vulnerable, or we just sit back in our padded pews and admit that we don't care. A recent study has essentially proven that the church does not care, as only 25% of white American evangelicals think that we have a responsibility to welcome refugees into our nation. For true believers, to not care is not an option. This passage is about God's judgment and separating the sheep from the goats. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Moving on. Now let me introduce you to Daryl Fulp. Daryl is not only my uncle, but someone who should be admired for his work. Daryl uprooted his entire family of 12 from the comforts of small town Ohio and relocated to Guatemala where they are doing the Lord's work. They specialize in caring for orphans with special needs, but that is not all they do. They also strive to meet needs such as malnutrition that lead to babies being born with those special needs. I can't think of a better person to have on the podcast today than my Uncle Daryl. Please note that due to technology limitations, portions of the conversation may be difficult to interpret. Please listen carefully, as there is a lot to be learned from Daryl. Let's drop into this conversation. Just to kind of break the ice for everybody listening, uh, there's a legendary story involving you switching out a cassette tape. Ah. Do you care to share that story with our, our listeners? Yeah. Um, when I was a young troublemaker, before I came to know Christ, my parents put me in a Christian school called uh, Wesleyan Academy in High Point. And at that point, they were building a new school. And uh, they, the school wasn't ready yet, so we were meeting in their church building. And then one day, I'm sitting in history class, waiting for the teacher to come in, and I look at the back wall, and I see the back so uh, I walked back. It was a lock inside with a timer system and an eight-track tape. This is eight-track tape day, so I'm eight dating myself. In the bottom, that said time. And so I went, oh, these are the times that play through the speaker system every day at noon. So I turned to a buddy and said, hey, you got any eight-track tapes? And he said, oh, yeah, go get it. So he went out and got group called Blackfoot, and the album was Blackfoot Strikes, with the album queued up to the song Train Train. So the next day at noon, precisely, uh, it began to play from the church speakers very loudly with the harmonica coming in, and then the heavy guitars, etc. And what was funny was it was the school staff that was there, and none of them knew how to shut it off, because the church staff wasn't there, so it played for the entire time. And meanwhile, Paul was all over the community wanting to know what in the heck was going on with their time system. So, yeah, so that kind of became a legendary prank in the school. When I returned like 20 years later, uh, one of the teachers introduced me as the person who did that, and I got generous high fives. <laughs> all right, so to move into your work, um, I, I think when I think of, of biblical um, direction on, on taking care of of orphans is which is what you do there down there in Guatemala. Um, I think of James one twenty seven. Um, so what does that verse mean to you, and what are the implications for your life, ministry, 
I mean, there's no doubt James 1.27 is talking about the symptoms of a true faith. Um, it's, it's like the parable of the sheep and the goats, or the story of the sheep and the goats in the final judgment. It's not a means of salvation, but it's a symptom of salvation. So what I find is that if we have the heart of Jesus, if we have Christ dwelling inside of us, then we have works. And some of those works include the caring of widows, caring for widows and orphans uh, as a part of it. We care for the oppressed, we care for the poor, we care for those who can't care for themselves, and therefore we fight on their behalf. So for people who might not know me, they might not know you, um, me and my wife, we just completed adoption of two daughters. Uh, prior to you leaving the States to go to Guatemala, you had a total of 10 kids. Yeah. What led you to become involved in foster care and adoption? Um, you know, that's a really good question. We, Wanda and I were married. We had two biological children. And the one night we were watching television and there was a commercial for like the children's advocates that came on out looking for people who would kind of serve as court appointed mm -hmm. uh, advocates for children. And we looked at each other and said, maybe we should look into that. But the more we looked into it, we kind of decided, you know what, if you really want to make a difference in a child's life, uh, in the court system, the best way to do that is through foster care. So we went through the training and then we started, we started fostering. And then shortly after we started fostering, we were born. And so we've had, we had a total of 23 children in our home over the course of, of uh, 13 years as foster parents. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then adopted two of those children, uh, two siblings, two, two sisters. So as somebody who has um, been involved um, in responding to the orphan crisis, what do you believe that the believer's responsibility is? It's, it's our job. It's our job to care. It's our job to make a difference. That, that uh, you know, I, I, I find that so often the the church, the professing church in the United States has come to the conclusion that God wants us to be safe and focused on our own family. And that's actually a, a false theology that's surrounded in a false God. In reality, the, the evangelical church in America worships family to the point mm -hmm. that, that God would not have us make sacrifices or ask our children to make sacrifices in order to minister to a dying world around us. So as a result, Christians have been slow to jump ahead and do things such as fostering and adoption. Because, well, what kind of elements are we going to bring into our home? Well, who, who is better equipped to deal with those elements than us? Uh, yeah. The church is the institution that God established to run into the building when everybody else is running out. We're the ones who are to do the things that nobody else can do. So if we can't play an active role in changing hearts and lives, then there is no hope for the children. We're basically telling them to go to hell. Yeah. So, yeah, from my perspective, that there's nobody who can do this job except for the Church of Jesus Christ. The government sure can't do it. They suck at it. Um, that I've seen secular organizations trying to do it, but they don't do it well because they really mm -hmm. don't believe in redemption. So for us, it's our job to embrace kids, to love them. And that's why Jesus made it very clear. If your faith is real, if you have true religion, 
something you're going to care for, and you're going to do something about it instead of giving lip service to it. Um, I mentioned that you currently live in Guatemala. Specifically, uh, where are you located, and um, what what is life like in your town? What what should our our listeners know? Uh, we live in a community called San Antonio Aguas Calientes. Um, it's a community of a little over 10,000 people, and we are in the department of Sacatepecas, Guatemala. So we are about 20 minutes outside of Antigua, and I'm not a fan of Antigua. It's like the tourist capital of Central America, and so it's really touristy, and it, it really has kind of destroyed the culture in that community. But here in our town, it's a, it's a primarily Mayan community, so it's, it's filled with indigenous people. Who are very traditional, including traditional clothing and uh, tradition. Like just the entire culture here is very traditional with a strong link to past. The official town language is um, is Tetzal, which is uh, anyway it's a Mayan language. In reality, most people think of Guatemala and they think of Spanish being spoken, but there's actually 23 recognized languages in Guatemala, and if you include the dialects, it's over a hundred. So, um, so the official language of this town is Cachital, but um, the majority of people in this town also speak some of the older people do not. So, yeah, so it's a very friendly community, and it's one of the safer communities because we have a group of vigilant men who patrol the town and make sure that troublemakers get driven out, and if necessary, they take care of the, the troublemakers, and sometimes through death. <laughs> yeah, it's been a few years since that's happened, but when a gang comes in, the police don't deal with it, so the town, the the town's men do. That, you know, on that same note, you know, many people here where I met, you know, they they have misconceptions about Central America and the people who live in Central America. Yeah, you know, me, of course, it's all media driven, political driven. So, what are some of the misconceptions about the Central American people? that you would like to correct? Oh, man, that's easy. Um, for one thing, I'm tired of the misrepresentation that's occurring right now in, in the, the immigration debate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a person who says America should just have open borders or whatever. But the way that the people of Central America have been characterized is mm -hmm. just flat out wrong. Many people believe that they're coming there, coming there because they want benefit. They want to sign up. Um, that, you know, we've been characterized as a bunch of gang members and troublemakers, etc. In reality, the far majority of people who are flooding the borders right now are just people who want to survive. Um, right now, we're in a healthcare crisis in the country. Um, I've been recently asked to serve as the doctor of a local, well, not a local, but in the Flint, a, uh, uh, what's called a point of this and dude, but basically it's a town's health center because they don't have a doctor. And I'm not a doctor, but basically yeah. I'm the best that they got. Uh, so we have a healthcare crisis. Last year, the number of deaths by malnutrition doubled because of a drought in the country that destroyed crops and left many people without food. Uh, it drove up the cost of everything from beans to rice to you name it. So as a result, people are getting increasingly desperate to the point that they're willing to risk their lives and their families' lives to go to the border. And the characterization that these people are just wanting to come and get signed up and get benefits or whatever it may be is just 
I'm not going to say there's none of that that's a part of it because there's always bad people. I mean, the United States is bad people who would do similar kind of things to live off the system. But the reality is the far majority of them just want to be able to find a job where they can work and provide for their families. So that's the biggest misconception I would like to address. There's lots of lies because they're being characterized in the name of politics instead of being seen as children and created in the image of God. And while I understand why politicians do that, there's no place for that in the body of Christ. Appreciate where you went on that. Um, so uh, I, I know that there's a few ways that um, those of us um, here in America can advocate and partner with you. Could you go over a few of those ways for us? Well, I mean, we need workers. The ministry is growing at a, at a very fast rate right now. Um, we're the, the third group home uh, is getting ready to open. They have their final inspection tomorrow, so probably in the next few weeks that will be open and receiving children. Um, we have our real village ministry that needs to have the more departments, so we need help there. We're getting ready to open a Mount Nutrition Center uh, here in our town. We need help there. Um, we have uh, a birthing center down in Esquintla, so we need medical professionals to assist with that. Uh, particularly nurses and people with midwife training or neonatal training, we, we need them. Um, and we have a feeding program that just opened up about a month ago in as well. So, and we want to open many, many more of those. So, first of all, we need people on the ground. So, people who would say, "Tired, tired of talking about making a difference. I'm going to go make a difference, even if it's moving to another country." Secondly, you can you can partner with us financially. Our website is uh, www.hopeforhome.org, and if you click on the donate tab, there's there's both PayPal links as well as a snail mail to which you can donate. And we're, we we don't fundraise at the ministry; we turn to God and ask Him to provide for us. But if God needs somebody to support us, then we certainly welcome it. And if we work really hard to keep our overhead low. Uh, our administration administration costs are under 10 percent. Um, so that as, as many pennies of every dollar go directly to the uh, family, family, prayer partners, we need people who will pray for us. Here, people are dying every day, and there many of them are dying apart from Christ. They have, there's lots of religion in this country, but there's very little religion. So, um, so we need people who will pray with us for our lives and pray with us for souls. And so that's just some of the ways. But the other thing too is. Understand, we don't. We're not advocating just for our ministry. Anybody who proclaims the name of Jesus is making a difference. Support, make a difference for them. Um, uh, right now, you've got a border crisis in the United States. There's lots of people suffering at the border. If you can yep. find ministries that are working with them, help them there. We're not. We're not doing that ministry in that area because we're trying working here to try to keep these people healthy and whole so they don't have to flee to the border. But there are many people who are doing valuable work there. Support them, make a difference. Reach out to immigrants in the community. Um, I love them. I don't care if they're legal or illegal. They're people. So reach out to them where they're at. Love them, embrace them, show them a way of life, help them to get established, help them to do the things that they need to do. Sometimes they need to apply, apply for asylum. They came in illegally, but they, they have legitimate reasons to clean. So maybe you can help them work with immigration services to apply but reach out love and be awesome awesome 
so we touched on um, we touched on adoption, we touched on orphan care, we've we've touched on immigration, uh, we've we've touched on some good stuff. So um, is there anything else uh, you would like to share with those listening? Yeah, you know, at the heart of all of this is love, and I think I think that's the thing that bothers me. It's I don't care that people have different opinions in the church regarding politics. I understand that. We're all going to have different points of view and we can learn from each other. Anyway. But the thing that is broken apart is the lack of love. Um, lack of love for politicians who would disagree with us. The lack of love for one another when we disagree. Um, a lack of love for celebrities and athletes who have a different point of view. We lash out at them. We boycott them. We yell at um, we protest. And in reality, none of that is found in scripture. What we see is just calling us to love our enemies. So I don't, mm-hmm. I think a lot of cases, they're not really our enemies anyway. They're just people who have a different perspective that we need to dialogue with and we need to listen, listen to them, and we need to speak our own heart with respect. But even if they are our enemies, you know how we're supposed to address them. Ask with love, with respect, not through name calling or shouting. But uh, Jesus himself never once yelled at unbelievers or people, you know, who, who weren't a part of the kingdom. He reserved his yelling for the religious people who were yelling at the unbelievers. Um, so my, my call to the church is to please just love, embrace, reach out. You can speak, you can speak the truth, but you can do it in a way that respects others and, uh, and honors God. And until we start doing that, the church will have no credibility whatsoever. Completely agree. I really appreciate you adding that in. I hope that you leave this podcast today with a better understanding of what needs to be done for the kingdom. If you feel led to partner with Daryl and his ministry, please reach out to them online at hopeforhome.org. That's H-O-P-E-F-O-R-H-O-M-E dot O-R-G. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Agora. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Agora podcast. That's A-G-O-R-A podcast. And finally, follow me on Twitter at Jason Grant 777. That's at J-A-S-O-N-G-R-A-N-T 777. Until we meet again, may the sovereign Lord guide your steps.